we all know the stats of agents surviving in this business. And the question is, do I spend that time finding new clients and growing that, or do I spend the time allocating to hiring a team who has, a, in that case, a 90% fail rate? So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui, back for another episode of Real Estate Radio. Today, I get to interview Spencer Sue. Spencer's an agent from the Bay Area. He's been an avid listener of Real Estate Rockstars for a long time. And these are some of my favorite people to be able to interview. Guys that got to listen on the show and they reach out and go, hey, I, you know, everybody starts as a new agent once. Spencer's crushing it now. It's a great time for him to be able to come on and share how he got there. Spencer, thanks for joining the show. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. And I hope all the listeners will be able to uh, learn a few nuggets from our call today. I'm sure they will, man. I'm sure they will. So uh, where do you live right now? I am in the Bay, San Francisco Bay Area. For those that are familiar, closer to San Jose, so the south parts of the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. So there's been so much news lately of like San Francisco and New York, like like it's a danger zone, like that no one's buying houses, that real estate's you know going to be hurting. Is it like that in real life? So... I would say there's two sides of the story. So a lot of people may assume San Francisco is all of the Bay Area, which it isn't, right? San Francisco relative to the Bay Area is about 10% of the population. Mm -hmm. So it is true that a lot of San Francisco are having challenges, especially like condos. But then where are they going? Now, they may leave to other parts of the country, but they just also are just leaving to other counties that are just 15 minutes away. Yeah. it is, it is true for some parts that San Francisco is doing very poorly relative to everywhere else, but they're just moving 15 minutes out and those markets are, are doing very well. Yeah, that's such a great, I'm even, I'm, you know, I'm from Northern California. I know that area where, well, and it's funny to think about the Bay Area as we've talked a lot about people are leaving the cities and going to the suburbs. So right. people say Bay Area, they think San Francisco, but the reality is you're saying like, so San Francisco is a very small part and that's, it's a big city, but like the suburbs is still the Bay Area. Like people le- you know, moving from the city to the burbs or to the normal locations where they can now live in a much bigger house, uh, you know, like San Jose and stuff like that. So those markets are, are strong. That makes a lot of sense. What is, um, what's the average sales price of the houses you're working on right now? For me, I would say my average would be probably closer to 1.2, 1.3 million. I would say, just give me an idea of the range that I've worked with. I mean, I just recently, yesterday, got in contract for a first-time buyer, a one-bed, one-bed condo for about three hundred seventy thousand, which is considered, you know, pretty low end relative for the Bay Area. And then uh, maybe my highest so far is over three and a half million. But the average, I would say, is closer to kind of the mid ones, depending on which cities you're looking at. So, the what's your what's your city you do most of your business out there? I would say for those that are familiar, San Mateo County and Santa Clara County, they by nature of the location tends to be a higher price point. And they also are closer to a lot of the big tech companies as to where most of my clients will work. So those are the two corridors I do most of my business. But given the shelter in place, a lot more have considered the East Bay, which is uh, generally a lower price point and also a bigger home. Um, so that's also a consideration that a lot of people have never thought of before. Yeah. So what's what does 1.2 million get you? I remember years ago we were building houses in Morgan Hill, and that was like some of our highest price point stuff. We were we were you know builders from Sacramento, and we had houses down in like you know the Central Coast too, north of Santa Barbara, but it was the lower price points. Morgan Hill was you know Bay Area by you and and most expensive. But what's what's a million? And they were like a million dollars, maybe high sevens or high eights at the time. But what's what's one point two million get you in your areas? It, it certainly depends on the area, but I would say on general, you'd be looking at maybe a single family home, probably twelve hundred, thirteen hundred square feet, mm-hmm. around That's- there. That's incredible. And that's really like people moving from the city to the burbs because they're going, hey, instead of that downtown 
condo, you know, they're getting to, they're going out somewhere where now they have a home and some people go, but then they go to East Bay. So they're getting, they get a little bit more home for their buck out there. Exactly. Then what's interesting about the Bay area is the price points are all somewhat comparable. It's just the price per square foot is different, right? So you may still be paying the same as exact amount, but the house is just much bigger or there may be a bigger yard. Right. right? So, so the, the, the actual relative price ends up to be somewhat comparable. It's just a price per square foot t- tends to drop the further you are away from the major job hubs. Yeah. So it's like average sales price everywhere in the Bay is around 1.2. It's just each city gets you a lot more. That makes a lot of sense. So Spencer, how did you get into real estate? I got in actually initially as an investor. I, my life prior to real estate, I was in tech. I was a software sales manager for over a decade. And eventually I got kind of tired of that grind and I wanted to do something else initially on the side. And I started by flipping a few homes on the side uh, as a kind of a side hustle. And as I went through that experience, I got to learn a lot more about the industry. That's actually when I started listening to a bunch of podcasts, whether it's you guys or like bigger pockets, especially when it comes to investing. And then, um, so I think this is really interesting. So started to spend more time and kind of got hooked and saw ultimately also a big opportunity for myself with my skill sets and my knowledge to be able to help a lot of people. But it was really through investing through flips that got me started into the realm of real estate, at least residential real estate. All right. So you were in software and then you got, and you were making good money because that's what software guys in the Bay Area make good money. And then you decided that you wanted to try investing in real estate. And then somewhere along there, you said, Hey, I should be an agent. Do you still invest in real estate now? Not on flips. Um, It's a combination. The way that I looked at it was quite frankly, this, I mean, you can make a a lot of money on either side, flipping homes as an investor uh, or as an agent. But it, it honestly is about the same amount of time that you will have to commit to each of them to be to do well. And when I looked at that, I looked at the two and I was like, okay, well, you have the opportunity to be an investor. You, you may have the, the opportunity to make a lot of a large sum of money if you're able to find a number of projects. But those relationships are very different if you think about the end user kind of clients that you're working with. And then when I looked at the real estate side, what I liked about it was I'm helping them with a very big financial decision for their, usually themselves, their primary homes or investment properties. And there may be a lot of opportunities to do other projects together whenever I have other things in mind. So I looked at it from a relationship perspective, like one is more of a kind of a reoccurring one potentially with referrals and things like that versus the investing side is, 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 is certainly very different. And if I said, hey, look, I'm going to spend the same amount of time for each to either find deals or find clients, I think this route is just better for what I'm interested in. Dude, I've never heard that perspective, but you're you're right. Like we make, uh, especially most people getting into investing are like, they have a, if they're going to go flip a house, they say, you put up the money, I flip the house, we're going to split the profit 50-50. So they're going to make like 5% on the deal if they do a good job. It's a, you know, a whole lot of work. Your commission, you're going to get two and a half, right? Or two or, or whichever it is. But- the, uh, but there's a lot more risk on the investment side. As an agent, you could work really hard for somebody and never get paid. You could never get an offer. You could never get the deal. Like that can happen. But the the downside on a bad investment is you could work really hard and lose 20,000, 30,000, 50,000. And you don't see that. I haven't, I haven't heard people com- kind of compare that before of, oh, I love being in real estate and I can make about as much as an agent as I can as an investor. And I'm going to choose to go the agent side. That's a really interesting perspective. I love hearing that. So the so your first year is 2018, right? And the and you did you did pre- Actually, first year is 2019. So your first year is yeah, 2019. 2019. So right. the so first year is 2019. So just a just a few years ago, the end. Did you start in January 2019 or, or? So the so the backstory, which is interesting, I actually got the license December of 2018, but I was still working my full time software sales job because mm-hmm. I knew from experience, like like anything, it takes time to get ramped up. So what I did was I worked at a company and got paid my salary, but I focused as much as I could on building the real estate business. So I was still working full-time getting paid a salary um, at my previous tech job up until about mid of 2019. But I was technically licensed in December 2018. Okay. So 2019, you started. How'd you do your first year? First year was interesting. The first six months... I did not close a single deal. And 
at the end of the year, I did about eight, I did eight deals for about nine and a half million. Okay. So eight deals. So the, and big houses out there. So nine and a half million, how'd you get your first deal? Uh, the first deal was interesting. Initially, the plan, I, I did a cold message of a connection that I had when we went to our previous MBA program together. And then I haven't talked to that individual in a long time and I reached out and they happened to be considering to sell their home at the time. And it mm -hmm. was like a Redfin agent and they weren't happy with a Redfin agent. And then they were going to give me a shot. Uh, what was interesting is nothing ever is smooth. So they, we initially were preparing to get the property get on the market and then they changed their mind. They didn't want to sell the home anymore. They want to just keep it as a rental, but then they wanted to find a home to buy just another home to buy to kind of add to their portfolio, but also move into that home. So we end up, uh, I end up helping them buy a home, but it was through a few weeks of initially getting so excited to get your first listing as the very first possible, you know, deal to losing it. And then a few weeks later, they decided they wanted to buy. And then it was a, it was a journey from there. That's wild. So the, so you were like, Hey, will you list your house? They're like, yeah. And then they take that away and you're like, Oh man. And they're like, but do you want to help us buy one? You're like, okay, I'm back on. And then, and then you were able to get that, get that first deal. So, yeah. so you've only been doing real estate a couple of years, but what do you wish that you would have known that, that first, like before you got started, like how to succeed as an agent, what would have been that thing you wish you knew? I would say, I think actually I wouldn't change a whole lot. The only thing I would change is hiring an assistant much earlier. Mm -hmm. I think I was really slow for that. But in general, I, I would not change a whole lot because a lot of it is, you know, we see the successes now, but it takes a lot of work. It's a lot of practice. I put a lot of hours. I basically did open houses every single weekend that were not mined uh, just to gain exposures, to gain potential new clients. So I think a lot of the things I did was correct. So I wouldn't actually change a whole lot other than hiring an assistant earlier and, and being more, actually, I'll correct that. If I look back now, I would say I would be a lot more confident of sharing to everybody that I'm in real estate. I was very timid in the past for various reasons mm -hmm. of not letting the world know repeatedly that I'm in real estate. And so I, I would, I would do, I would have changed that if there was going to be a thing that I would tweak. All right. So that you would let more people know, Hey, I'm in real estate. The, to be able to, to share that. Cause that is a tip that a lot of agents talk about now. And some people, especially when they first start, they're apprehensive for all sorts of reasons. They don't know if they're going to succeed yet, or they don't want to feel like they're selling to their friends or everything else. So I like it. So you did have something that, that you'd look back now and go, I should have done that sooner. Cause I do that now. And it obviously has some benefits for you. So Real Estate Rockstars, this is a commercial break from our biggest podcast sponsor we have right now, Rent Ready. It can be fun getting a new real estate deal, but it can be tough managing your properties after the fact, especially if you're long distance investing or trying to manage multiple properties by yourself. That's why we're here to tell you about Rent Ready. Rent Ready is a property management software that not only makes it easier to manage all your real estate deals from one platform, but they also have the best customer service support in the biz. They're an all-in-one app that lets you easily manage properties, collect rent, list units, screen tenants, sign leases, all from your phone or computer. Imagine all of your real estate doors right in your pocket. How awesome is that? The best part is it's so affordable, one flat price for everything. Unlimited properties, tenants, and support with a real live human. And I have to add in there, that's a new business model that not a lot of people are doing. There's like this freemium model where people say, hey, you can try this, but as soon as you grow, it's gonna cost you a lot of money. Or they kind of punish you when you get too many emails on your list or too many come. They aren't gonna punish you when you grow. They're not gonna charge you more when you get 10, 20, 30 rentals. They're gonna charge you the same when you have two or three as they will when you have 50 or 60. So you have a nice fixed cost, all software, all in one place. Check it out, Rent Ready, R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com. And if that's not enough, Rent Ready is giving our listeners a special code you can use to get a whole year of Rent Ready for just $54. Use code R-O-C-K-S-T-A-R-50. That's Rockstar50. And sign up for Rent Ready's annual plan at rentready.com. Again, R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com with code Rockstar50 to get Rent Ready for only $54. Twenty twenty was crazy. 
you only, so you had, I'll say you only had eight transactions in, in your first year, but it was also nine and a half million. So you had made some money. You're like, cool, I'm making some money. I like this. I like real estate. 2020 hits and 2020 was really the year where people that were new at real estate or didn't have a lot of experience had a really, really rough time, right? The, the, but I'm looking at the stats and, and you still had a lot of transactions. You still grew in 2020. So how many transactions did you do in 2020? 35 transactions for 43 million. So how was, was that all through the year? Like how did your year start? How was your year pre-COVID and then post-COVID the, to be able to succeed? So pre-COVID and in general, for I think for most places, the market was very intense. We would have expected some crazy numbers that year just from a production, uh, from sales prices. So my, the beginning of the year was very strong. And then as soon as COVID hit, kind of the shelter especially in the Bay Area, which is one of the most locked down places in the entire country, you know, things slow down tremendously for really a, a couple of weeks. I would say kind of that mid-March timeframe when the country was on lockdown. Uh, and then things continue to kind of pick up and just kind of continue to ramp up as the year went on. I think there's a combination of reasons, right? Um, number one, there's just more options because a lot of people may have canceled their listings altogether. So there's no homes to buy. Mm -hmm. But also in general, people have a little bit more idea of like what's going on with their jobs, what's going on with where they want to live. Uh, just overall confidence has increased throughout the year. Yeah. So, so what was your number one secret of still getting deals closed in 2020? Like, how did you, how did you survive 2020? You were, a, it was your second year Yeah. and you're in the most, one of the most locked down places in the country. What was your secret to just survive real estate? So I, I thought about like, Everybody has different ways to generate business and to grow their business. And there's so many ways for people to dominate, right? It could be digital ads. It could be video. It could be social media. It could be mailers. There's so many pillars. I knew one of my pillars, which for me from a, was a lead acquisition perspective, was open houses. That's dead, right? It's still dead. Um, it's still not back up. And has no, I have no idea when it will be even possibly back up. So I was like, okay, well... I usually spent at the very least, you know, three, four hours each day at the open house. So that's like eight hours, at least on the weekend. Mm -hmm. So I have all this time now that I need to then reallocate to another area. It could be existing areas to double down or also other areas that I knew was important, but I didn't do. And that area was a combination of my YouTube channel and also my podcast. And so especially in the beginning when shelter in place first happened, literally nothing, you couldn't even couldn't leave your house. Yeah. Like, right. So I was like, okay, well I can either have, I can't even go on vacation, right? You can't even leave. You can't even go on vacation. So you can either just binge watch a bunch of shows or you people can, did that. <laughs> people did that. Or you can start doing your own show. And cause I knew at that time, there was so much commotion about, Oh, is the world ending and all these things, which is maybe the case. But then a lot of people were making these inaccurate assumptions about what was going on with real estate. And I knew because I was still active, like this is not actually what's really happening when it comes to real estate. So I bet if people are only hearing about all these different clickbait articles, I think people need to understand the truth. And so I created my own show and started revealing the market data every week because I want people to fully see for themselves, this is actually what's happening. Now you may have your own prediction and your thesis that you think the world will end and real estate will tank like 2008. But this is what's really happening, whether you want to believe it or not. And so I started doing that video. I started kind of keep adding to that. It got better and better. And eventually over time, I got to know the market a whole lot more too. But at the same time, a lot of people started to value that. And so I then posted those that video content on my own social media, on YouTube, podcast. So I got a, a lot of wonderful clients I never have met before through YouTube and my podcast. And also within my own social media sphere, you know, I think I was able to position myself as like, this guy is still rolling at this time. I think he's legit. Let me send him some people that I know that I might be considering. So it was really the strategy and the ad you know, adaptation to video was a huge driver. And, and that's what I'm continuing to improve on even at this time. There are so many great pivots that you talked about there. Like the, so all of a sudden open houses get shut down and instead of saying like, okay, um, I can't do open houses anymore. I mean, you said that, but you said, but I, but that's eight hours, but I'm not going to not do anything. I'm not going to, I'm not just going to sit and, and watch Netflix all weekend. 
the time I was spending at open houses, what can I do to build my brand? So the, it would have been very easy for you to give up being a year into an, being an agent when the like you would have had every excuse in the book to be able to go, all right, this isn't for me right now and blame the world, right? Just blame the world that it got shut down and no one would have blamed you. They're like, cool. Yeah, everybody had a rough year. And you said, all right, you can't do open house. So first you pivoted and said, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to work really hard instead. So listeners, what, when you're pivoting, because there, there may be some 2021 pivots happening. There may be some need to change again. There may be you know, a whole lot more of the same or there may be other stuff. But if you've been somebody that used to spend you know, eight hours on a weekend doing open houses and now you don't, maybe try to look at that time and say, hey, I can't do this anymore, but now I can spend that time to do this instead. What other options are there? So then you went to video and, and you're just kind of just doing a great job of looking at the news going, hey, I, I should do this instead. We love, you know, almost once a week, we do one of our shows as the state of the market where we get to talk about what's really going on out there. And we get to look at the real estate news and take it and try to give people kind of some actionable data for it. And people, people do love hearing about the world and what's going to happen, and especially in that Bay Area. So they got to see you as, hey, is an agent still going? And you went all in on video and now your YouTube page, it's all, you've, you've gotten tons of views now. You're starting to get a lot of subscribers uh, specifically on the Bay Area. We've interviewed a few people that said, hey, YouTube is the thing to do. And over time it builds. And you're already probably around the same time you started that YouTube channel. We had a, a interviewed a few guys on here that were really crushing it you know, by building up their YouTube pages. So now, you, now you're going into you know, to getting people through that. But so are, how often are you doing that show? So I do kind of two videos now. One is a weekly Friday market update and is a live stream. So I use tools to be able to stream to my social media, to just stream all together. And people can tune in and ask questions that way. So it's every Friday at 12 o'clock Pacific time. And then I also release like a video that I want to release, whether it's a new construction walkthrough, maybe a new listing. It could be a what's changing in the city, general questions I get. So it would just be more of a random kind of video on the Tuesday. So I have two videos a week is what I use, do these days. Yeah. So you go two videos a week. And what's the, what's kind of the latest news out there? So for the uh, at any of the shows you've done over the last month of like, hey, this is what's really going on in the market. What, what was the, your most recent topic? I think a lot of people, as I mentioned, a lot, a lot of the news and a, a lot of information is a, is a laggard, right? So people may have this stigma of like you mentioned, all the a lot of the articles about the Bay Area is people are leaving the Bay Area. Yeah, more so as people leaving, like I said, San Francisco, not the Bay Area. They're just moving to the Bay Area in a sense within other parts of the Bay. Area. Yeah, they're actually moving. To, they're not leaving the Bay Area. They're moving to the Bay Area from the city. Exactly right. So a lot of people don't understand that, even the people that live here, because of all the the press articles. And so the reality is, the last two months have been incredible. It's been a record year. Um, and now that's even overflowing to uh, types of properties that are not as popular, like condos and townhomes. So now they're they're getting a lot more popular. But uh, as of right now, we're seeing a pretty big spike. We're t- we're talking about about five percent spike over what everything else has sold for in the past. And so people that are buying need to understand like this is the market that we're in right now. There is always an appraisal risk when it comes to these things. Mm-hmm. Be ready for that. But this is what it, it, it's required to win. And people will learn from themselves as they do one or two bids to understand that. But that's the latest state of the market. I think we're going to have a record year here. And we're going to continue to have record year, but it's going to be a record increase. So Curtis said in your pre-interviews, and one of the things you'd be great at talking about is considering being a solo agent versus leading a team. Right. So 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 which version do you do and why? So... How I look at the successes is there's two types of models. So giving everybody an idea, the production that I've done, I don't have a buyer's agent. I don't have, I have an assistant and I have a marketing manager. That's my current kind of company and my stack. I am trying to hire a showing assistant to help with that, but then I will continue to be the rainmaker at least for some time. I think it can be very scalable, even if I just have maybe two showing assistants, because that will take up you know, the weekends entirely that I do showings right now. So I prefer that model for now and we'll see how it goes. And, and I also get inspiration because there are many huge hitters in the Bay Area that run that same kind of lean model. It's a, it's a very profitable model, 
right? If you think about it just from a pure split perspective. And I think it's still very manageable and it still allows me to have the brand and control that I want for people to continue to trust me as an individual. So I just like that approach because the, the, the downside of the team aspect is like anything, you have to have the systems in place for that. You know, we all know the stats of agents surviving in this business. And the question is, do I spend that time finding new clients and growing that? Or do I spend the time allocating to hiring a team who has, a, in that case, a 90% fail rate? So I think that's just a plan for now. I think it's very doable, though. Like I said, there's many models that have been successful in the Bay Area of this Rainmaker model that can go up to hundreds of million a year in a very lean four or five showing agent assistants. Yeah, so, so it's very doable. So 43 million in, in, in sales. What was your growth, you know, your gross commission income? I mean, that's probably over a million. It's over a million. Right. So it's over a million and two employees, right? And two full-time employees and that's it. And then you, and then you would, and then you would hustle. So like your net, you know, your net net is, and I think that's part of like the brokerage you're with too. And, and I'm sure, I'm sure I'll get into that. But that is the solo model. Um, when my wife was an agent in Sacramento and selling our flips, and she would do a couple, you know, a couple hundred million in volume a year, she had three full-time employees, right? And that, but that was it. It was the three full-time employees. They were licensed agents, and you know, it was a transaction coordinator. It was somebody who go, you know, do the pictures and set up the listings, and you know, kind of organize offers as they would come in. I forget what our, and, and maybe the other one just kind of got to go do, I, I forget what the third employee was doing, but it's three employees on a bunch of volume. Like, and you're right. The, there may be different places in the U S that lend to that model more than others, right. but the, but it's probably just a type of personality too, right? Like being the rainmaker, like being the guy, like, like some people want to have, you know, the, the team picture and, and they're growing the team and they do very well. And it's a great model. I think you're right though. The net profit, of the of what you do is going to be much higher on an employee solo agent level um, as long as you get the volume. I don't know how many deals you need to really make that model work. It's kind of like if you're under maybe seven or eight deals a year, then it's probably not going to be then then the solo agent might not be the right model because I guess that you can't afford an you can't afford an assistant at that. So if you're doing seven or eight deals a year, just do all your own stuff. Uh, when you're getting to that that higher stuff, have those assistants. So like you're doing really, really well, man. So tell us about your, so your employees, right? So you have a, so tell us about the employee that you have. What, what does your assistant do? So uh, I have two employees and they're general roles and they're amazing people that I have. They're not local to the Bay Area. So they have the flexibility to work anywhere and they're basically in the East Coast. So my assistant helps with just the stuff that I need help with. So all the scheduling, all the planning, all the, especially right now, there's a lot of document signing that needs to happen. There's any sort of just things that are not really me engaging with clients, but that needs to get done, whether it's ordering things, um, giving me updates on things. It's just really, that's not, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, when I hear on the show is it's really breaking down your, your dollar per hour kind of items. Mm -hmm. Cause you can do a quick math on my end. My dollar per hour is probably let's say three, $400 an hour, quite frankly. So yeah. if it's not of that, then teach my assistant to do it. So that's, that's a majority of what the assistant does, which is plenty of time. She also will help with all the scripts that I write. So a lot of it, I need to be prepared. So I write scripts for the videos that I do, right? So that, that doesn't take, that takes a while. It could be the blog post that I need. So there's a lot of just backend stuff that people kind of, take for granted of actually how much time people may actually spend. So there's that one component. And the other component is on the marketing manager side. So it's all my social media posts. She'll write the copy. I will review all the copy. She would do all the video kind of planning and editing and the content writing. There's all sorts of different things from a sequence perspective of my website, but also what kind of drip campaigns come from whichever topic I'm talking about. There's, a, there's endless things to do. So I'm very, very lucky that they're on the team. And, um, but even then again, uh, those wonderful ladies only joined two months ago. So this has been lean for a long time, longer than it probably needed to be. But it, only, it was only two months ago that, um, that this was. So it's been even more lean than you may think. Yeah, that's crazy. So, so last year when you were doing all the volume <laughs> yourself, you're like, yeah, you're, you're hustling out there, running around, and maybe you weren't sleeping very much. But the... Uh, 
But you know, but we were, but you are on lockdown. You're not allowed to go eat anywhere. You're not allowed to go hang out, hang out at night and go do anything fun. So you might as well just crush it in real estate instead. So the, you were talking to Curtis about a showing assistant. So the, is that, do you have someone on your team that does that? Are you trying to hire for that or or what, what, what does a showing assistant do? I'm still trying to hire for that. So I'm part of the show as well. If anyone's in the Bay Area, if you have even people that are interested in, in the Bay Area, you're not doing well, or you're just a new college grad, let's talk. I need to hire someone ASAP for that. I can't keep doing what I'm doing, but it still has to be the right person, right? I'm not going to, at the end of the day, this is a representation of myself mm-hmm. uh, for my clients. So I, I still need the right person. But the idea, because right now is I need somebody to drive around which is what i'm doing right now to go show homes for my clients you know there is no open houses so everything requires the agent to to open the door for them mm-hmm. so it's really that as a key response key role and giving you know thoughts of the general area and the general home itself but it's really that all that driving that's happening which i'm doing still every weekend right now all right so showing assistant will go Kind of show your clients how to get in and out, maybe help organize it. Maybe you can now do two clients at the same time because you get to do a client and they do. They'll get to kind of learn from the person that's running the, sh- you know, the, that's running the team. They'd be able to learn from you. And then eventually a showing agent, become they kind of become their own successful agent, right? It's really up to them, right? I mean, some people, like we all know an, a realtor life is not easy and it's very hard. So yeah. some may, may be comfortable to just being a showing assistant, because you do, you do get to see a whole bunch of houses every every weekend. Um, but if they wanted to kind of progress, then, I have, then that's maybe the option where I grow into a, a kind of a mini team uh, for that, where they're also just producing on their own. Yeah. And so we'll see how that progresses, but they need to first do the showing assistant job first. Well, right. Well, I guess the benefit too is you're on, it's like salary instead. Yeah. So the, it's for real. I know a lot of real estate agents that loved doing real estate, but they didn't like the ups and downs of commission. They just needed stability instead. And so switching to a base salary instead, the, the assistance that my wife had, everybody was, they were all on salary and they were all on salary to do their job. And they loved that because that was nice and stable and that was nice and predictable. And the, the this crazy entrepreneur life isn't for everybody. Uh, and being a real estate agent is really the entrepreneur because of the up and down, because you have months at work and not. So yeah, if you're somebody in the Bay Area and maybe the up and down isn't quite as fun, you know, something more stable, you'll, they'll definitely be able to reach out to you after the show. So you do your your YouTube stuff. You're doing a couple a week. Uh, you've got a bunch of subscribers right now, a bunch of downloads. And the what does your marketing assistants do? Or what do your, or, or your marketing manager do? So as mentioned, it's it's combination of the videos, the video editing, uh, as well, the scripting for that. Oh, right. Um, so the publishing of it, and mm-hmm. also just I'm I've just started rolling out like mark basically flyers for list trying to get more listings. So I have, I have a farming strategy that's getting implemented as well. So she'll help with those designs, help with my listings as well. So there's a lot of things that a marketing person will do, including managing my social media page pages. Yeah. So right now, are you doing more listings or more buyer's agent activities? It's honestly been a lot of buyers. Like yeah. of the 35 last year, 33 were buyers. What is your number one secret to get your offer accepted as a buyer's agent right now? The number one secret in this hyper-competitive market is setting the right expectations. At the end of the day, it's not uncommon for off, for, for more than, let's say, five plus offers. Some will go over 20, 20 plus offers. But it's all fairly predictable of where these will go if you did the right due diligence. And so it's also getting on the same page with the clients of like, this is the state of the market. This is what it is. Here's an understanding of what others homes have sold for in the same area that look very similar to this or could be slightly different than this. So it's all about the right framework and the right expectations. So combination of what others have sold for in terms of a data-driven approach looking at the disclosures, anything negative, and then understanding the competition, trying to find out from the other side, are we competing against five people or are we competing against 15 people will give you an idea of where your spectrum of how aggressive uh, you are for that particular house. Those are the disciplines that, that need to happen for every offer that we make. And with that, you know, there are always going to be outliers, right? You can't predict outliers. If somebody really loves it and overbids like crazy, you can't predict those things, but you can pretty easily predict how to be in the top few 
uh, each time. And if you're in the top few each time, you have a very good chance of getting in contract. Yeah. The, uh, so that data-driven approach, like we're getting, people are getting offers like two, 300,000 over asking you know, all over Northern California. Do you even look at what the list price is? Or do you just do, like, would you, do you pay attention to like what it's listed for? Or are you like, no, I know it's a, I know it's a $1.2 million house, even if it's listed at 900. Exactly. People, and I tell all of my clients, this, list price is an artificial fake number. And people need to understand that, especially in, in a lot of markets. Especially right now, yeah. Especially right now, right? It's a fake number. What's the only metric that's important is what others have sold for in the past, in the last, let's say, last three months. I mean, this is all very recent. That's mm-hmm. a true number if the market was flat. And then you need to understand where is the market going? Is it going up? then add you know, 2% or whatever it is in terms of what it has been increasing by. That's how you actually determine the fair market of a home, right? So the list price is an artificial number. And I tell people that upfront and I will show them, look, this other home sold for this amount. This will sell for this. Now, I tell all of my clients this as well. I'm happy to do whatever you want for the first one or two offers. We look at the same data. You can come up with your price because I want them to understand and learn and not be me, me just, you know, shoving something down their throat like mm-hmm. you can go with whatever you bid but if we do not win we need to be in the same page of like this is why you did not win this is where it went for my my calculation was pretty spot on for this so it's a learning right it's a learning as you go through it if you're making the same mistake over and over again then it's it's the fault of the realtor you're not doing a good job of educating the client but also not doing a good job on the process altogether i really like that process so you're going to take your your clients and say hey we're going to go make this offer and, you know, we're going to have to go 200,000 over asking is actually worth 1.2. And if they say, well, no, it's listed at 900. I want to offer a million. You go, okay. And you set clear expectations and you say, so I think it's going to sell for 1.2 and I will be happy to write your offer for a million. You do a couple more of that. And lo and behold, they sell for 1.2. And after that, you're like, okay, I did it your way a couple of times. If we want a house, now we're going to listen. You've kind of proven to them. You've let them take the reins. You've let them kind of build their trust with you. And then by being right, then they say, okay, if we really want this next house, we got to take it serious. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I guess that's, that's also having the expectation too, that if you get a new client and you're writing an offer as an agent, you can't expect your first couple offers are going to get accepted because your client needs to learn about the process of what's going on. Like you need to train them and teach them like we're in this every day. We see it every day. They don't, they're buying one house. And so it might take them a few offers to realize how crazy it is out there. Yeah. And some will trust the individual right away. Like for example, referrals are much more likely to trust because they know their friend went through you know, a great process and they knew it was very taking well, well care of. But uh, at the same time, if it's a brand new person that you've met, then they don't need to trust you. Right. So, but trust can be earned over time by being transparent, by being, just being honest with the whole approach. But also the data-driven approach makes it where this is the numbers. You can believe what you want, but this is exactly what's happening. And, um, and, and that, that at least makes things kind of even where they know I'm not just making stuff up just to close a deal. I love being able to say it's about the numbers, not the people, right? So you're like, hey, you don't have to get mad at anybody. You don't have, it's not about this. It's not about that. It's just, it's simply a number. Like the, the number part doesn't lie. It's where it's gonna. It's where it's gonna end up. It really, it's gonna end up there if there's two offers or twenty offers, because the uh, people will usually get the market will bear what the market will bear. It's a really interesting time, man. Every people are asking it all the time. Like, how do we get our offers accepted? There's so many things coming in. It's the most common thing happening right now, especially on the buyer side. The uh, you know for listings, the t- their toughest part now is now people are less likely to list because they're worried about where they're gonna move next. They're like, well, I want to sell my house, but I don't want to, but then I'm going to have to rent for a year. And is the, is the market going to keep going up? Like, how am I going to do this? So this has been really great for, for our listeners. I think there's so much value for people out there of just stuff that you've talked to about today. You got, I mean, you got to talk about your pivot of 2020 and how instead of like when you couldn't do open houses anymore, you said, all right, I'm going to do this instead. You've built up like this, this, this great vi- video you know, this great video channel on YouTube. Now you're actually getting listings from that. You're working hard and you're growing and you've taken that like solo agent approach. And honestly, you've done really, really good in your first couple of years of real estate, especially considering that one of those years was uh, was crazy. And I've, I've said it a hundred times on the show. We've had a lot of people that crushed it this year, but a lot of people that haven't. 
And most of the people that are new agents are having a really rough year in 2020 because it's tough to get that accepted. So I think your advice can be great for them. But so you're part of EXP out there in the Bay Area. What are your what are your future plans out there? What are you hoping to accomplish you know, this next year when it, com- when it comes to that? So it's not necessarily uh, EXP related. I, you know, a big part of what everybody needs to understand is the finance stack, right? I mean, we, we go through all this stuff about numbers and, and some top team makes hundreds of transactions a year or whatever it may be and makes X dollar amount. But at the end of the day, it's about profit because you can do whatever you want with that. And actually, the reason why I went even the solo route was if I'm making, in this case, you know, quite a bit of money as net profit, I can do whatever I want with that money. I can save, I can use it for marketing to keep bolstering the, the brand. I can invest in other things. I can invest in real estate. I can, I can invest in the stock market. You can do whatever you want with it. So people need to understand their, the finance health of a business, right? That's number one. They also need to understand at the end of the day, the marketing is from the individual. People trust the individual, not the brand. You can be a Compass. You can be a Sotheby's. You can be an EXP. At the end of the day, they trust the individual. And you would hope they would trust the individual um, because that's the person that they're going to battle with. And so I chose EXP because I was initially with Keller Williams and both had a similar model where they did kind of promote and allow flexibility of someone branding the, in, the individual. Of course, you have to do it with the proper guidelines, but it had way more flexibility than uh, a traditional brokerage like a, like a compass, right? And so, you know, my brand in my case is the tech realtor of the Bay Area. That's who I want to target. That's my focus. And I can have my marketing all kind of geared towards that. And so I think people need to understand from their own business perspective, take a look at your own model. How much are you paying for commissions? How much are you paying for uh, just for your brokerage? And how much value are you getting truly getting back? Like take the brand out of it because the brand is yourself. Understand that, right? In my model, my cap is like $16,000. You've heard how much... I made last year, like imagine if there was no cap, like, God, that's a lot of money that I'm just dumping away and understand that because there's a cap and then you do whatever you want with that remaining amount. You think it's better to pay that difference to the broker, or you think that's better just to even dump it blindly into marketing yourself. You'll probably get way better ROI. Quite frankly, you're just dumping it to whatever you want. You can either just give out money and it'll probably be better than the broker brokerage itself. So you know, people need to understand your financial position, whether you're a newer agent, whether you're an experienced agent, because it, could, it, it was easily a lot. Like even when I first made that transition from the year one, which I mentioned was nine and a half million. If you think about GCI, what is that? Let's say it's two and a half percent. I think, uh, what was that? Almost 250,000 mm-hmm. example, right? But the cap at that, at KW at the time was about 40,000 total. So the, in, even if my business was flat, I would save $24,000 a year by literally just changing the name of a brokerage, right? So you can, and then I can do whatever I want with that 24,000. I can just throw massive parties or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter. And that's the idea. So I think people need to understand that, like understand your, your business, understand the finance side and then make the decision that's right for you. And hence why EXP has done very well. I mean, Never mind, but the stock market has been crazy of their the stock price, but more so of just that fundamental structure. I think people need to seriously understand and then be more open to it because of the finance side of your business. And the other side is the marketing side of your business, which I think, quite frankly, EXP allows a lot of flexibility um, that a lot of brokerages don't. And that's very helpful as you continue to grow your brand. So I would yeah. say those are the main things. And then, of course, the way that EXP is done is it's very different than traditional comp- like companies. We're all almost individual mini offices. That's why people may have been pitched EXP over and over again from different people. So it is very important to understand who is actually the one that you're going to be kind of joining and wanting to learn from. You know, I think mentorship is a huge part of whether an agent can be successful or not. Because anyone joining in, just because you got your license means nothing. You're not, even on, you're not even on the starting line. You don't even know what you're doing yet. And so being able to have a mentorship, a mentor is very important. And that's the same idea as like who you join at EXP is also very important. 
So I think those are hopefully are helpful. You know, in that case, I would be aligned with you as well. Obviously, I would want you to be successful, especially if you are in this case under myself, because we're on the same team and even financially we're on the same team. So I think that's uh, helpful. It's not a pitch of EXP, but it's a pitch of understanding your business, what makes sense for your business, both financing and marketing side. And hopefully you make the right decision from there. Yeah, what an interesting perspective. I mean, because we even talked about that, the, you know, the team versus solo part or, you know, joining a team versus starting a team. Like, so the beginning as you're, as you're learning, or if you don't have as many transactions or even the agents choosing to be salary instead of commission, there's so many different options in, as a real estate agent of what sort of things. So I I love what you said there, Spencer, of just encouraging people to, uh, to figure out what they want, figure out what their model should be. You know, if depending on how they want to market or what they want to market, if they want to if they want to market themselves versus a company brand, and there's pros and cons to both sides of that, right? And being able to see, it's pretty cool. You had a million in GCI and had to pay sixteen thousand dollars in broker commission. I'm sure somebody out there, their eyes raised a little bit out there, and the and yeah, being able to find you know, we interview people from every different brokerage. I've got great friends from every different brokerage, and all of them have have great reasons for that. But I love the I love just the the reminder to you know take a look at your take a look at your business plan right now, and and make sure that it's the business plan that you want, and make sure that it's working for you, and and be able to make some adjustments. And you know, Spencer, if somebody does want to reach out to you, if if they're like if they want some advice on starting a YouTube page. They want to learn more about about your brokerage or anything else. They want to get get some advice. What's the best way for them to find you? The best ways would be you can simply just find me on Google. Just Spencer last name is H S U. You can find me on Instagram Bay Area Tech Realtor. I reply to all messages, so feel free to DM me there uh, or submit an email. I respond to everything. So it's Spencer at spencerhsu.com. And uh, reach out anytime. Happy to help, and um, really appreciate the opportunity to be on this show. It's it's always kind of surreal because, as you can imagine, it's been a short time. Uh, I still listen to you guys, especially as I drive. I think a lot of people need to use that as an opportunity to listen and and, and learn things. I don't actually have a direct mentor, but these podcasts and the different people that come on the show, people should. My suggestion to everybody, and this is what I've done, is I always listen to the shows that are relevant to me and where I'm at. I listen to it and then I take different nuggets of how can I implement those things that they're doing well into their business. So whoever's listening to the show, take action because we're not here just to watch shows indefinitely. I think that's actually a waste of time on one end because you're just wasting time if you're not actually executing. It's all about the execution. All of these ideas have always been out there, but people are just listening and just tuning in. And, and that's the advantage that everyone should take is Find a few nuggets of my of this particular episode or every episode. See how you can apply to your business and game, and then execute. Do it consistently for a long time, and then I think you'll see a lot of great results. And that's actually how I uh, got to this level. And one maybe last little nugget: um, you asked what are my goals for this year. So as I mentioned, it was a crazy trajectory, right? First year eight deals, nine and a half million. Second year, 35 deals, 43 million. This year, I want to double that. So I want to do 70 deals over 80 million. As of right now, we're kind of in first, I don't know, maybe mid-February, if I can say that. (laughs) I've done already nine deals for, I think, I don't know, 14 million already. Man. So we're just getting started because the reality is the trajectory, as you can see, is just getting started. So that gives you kind of a sense of where I'm coming from, my approach. I work a ton. Everybody should work hard. But there needs to be a strategy and a discipline that you're going to you just kind of keep focusing on a few key areas. And um, everybody has a chance to do very, very well in this business. Man, the Spencer, that's great stuff. And you've already got you were on pace to hit your 70 or 80 deals this year. I can't wait. When you hit that, you got to reach out to me and tell me you got that. And the like I said at the beginning, I love being able to interview people that listen to our show. Especially that, especially when you get to talk about I mean, the goal of real estate rock stars. You know, when Pat Hyben started the Real Estate Rockstars podcast, it was to get the secrets from all the best agents out there and share them with everybody. And really, like you're hitting it on the head, is supposed to be you have all these mentors, 
You get to have all these mentors sharing their secrets and, and bringing it all because they just want to help provide value. And you've got to listen to these mentors and go apply it. And you've applied just some nuggets because now you have created your own brand and your own way and you're just doing great. So Spencer, I really appreciate you coming on the show. The Thanks so much for coming on and Real Estate Rockstars. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much. Have a good one. All right, Real Estate Rockstars. This is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully you guys loved listening to that one. And I want to make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rate rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents. And we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, we've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. Every punny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients. And we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate, how to get the listing, how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff, rebusuniversity.com. And if you want to chat with me, go find me on Instagram. If you come find me on Instagram, you can send me messages. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like. We try to put a bunch of content out there too. You can find me in two different places. It's at rerockstars.com for our Real Estate Rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>